Welcome to Pease's Gabfest, a chapter-by-chapter page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meigs. And today, we are analyzing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger, which is approximately minutes 53 to an hour and three minutes of the film. Before we start gabbing, we wanted to give a quick spoiler warning. We will be using our vast knowledge of the Wizarding World to compare the page to the screen, and we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or the film. So, you've been warned, Igglefirsties. Before we start, a message from the Daily Prophet. No one wants to wait hours for a potion to brew. Ditch the cauldron and order a BlendJet 2 portable blender today. Sure to get you invited to Slughorn's parties, the BlendJet 2 makes blending so easy and convenient. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up your potions even while riding a broomstick. It's small enough to fit in your cloak, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like frozen fruit and lacewing flies with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning potion without waking up the whole common room. Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. That, that's a muggle contraption. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. I really want to get the black one and add the Hufflepuff logo. Yes. Yeah, and I want a blue one so that it'll match, well, Ravenclaw, but also my kitchen counters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, super important. It's got to yeah. match the ki- kitchen counters. It's nice and convenient if that can happen. Black goes with anything, so I think I'm good. Yeah, it's true. Well, what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and two free day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome back, listeners. So we kick off this chapter with some more look into Lockhart's class. And Harry is trying to schmooze him a little bit because they know they're going to ask him for a favor. Um, what did you guys think of this scene? Uh, particularly Meigs, what did you think of this scene, Miss Com- Comedy herself? Um, I cannot wait to see this hopefully be recreated on the TV show. Of course, that's what I wrote down. Um, it, that was the first thing that I wrote down is that we need to see the class and Harry reenacting with Lockhart. I think that's pure comedy gold. So hopefully they add it in. <laughs> it really is pure comedy gold. Mm-hmm. And like everything all the way up to um, Hermione asking Lockhart to sign um the slip to go into the restricted section because like you have 
Lockhart being his pompous self, which is funny. And then Hermione, like trying to be her, her normal, like strict self, but then she's always getting all blushy around Lockhart. And uh, <laughs> so I definitely want to see that too. And also the moment where they ask Madame Pence, well, they, they give the signed note to Madame Pence and Hermione doesn't want to hand it over. And I, I can imagine yeah, yeah. Like a little tug of war. And then yeah. Ron just rolling his eyes and saying, we'll get you another signature. I know. So funny. Yeah, I, I really want to see all of this. I just love like the opening line or the opening two sentences is so good for this chapter. Since the disastrous episode of the Pixies, Professor Lockhart had not brought live creatures to class. Instead, he <laughs> read passages from his books to them and sometimes reenacted some of the more dramatic bits. Like, that's just so funny. It's just so Lockhart. <laughs> I know. It's so good. I want to know if the movie people ever had the question come up of, how did the how did they get the book in the first place? Because this part of the book shows us how they got the book they needed to make the apologies potion. They had to go to the restricted section and get a permission slip. They succeeded. There it is. Whereas in the movie, they just have the book and they got it from the restricted section and like they really like tell us how. Uh, how they well, how or when they got it and so i'm wondering you know question for you know those listeners who just you know didn't read the books but watch the movies did you ever like question that like how did they get that was that something that ever crossed your mind was it was like what what's going on there because that's like to me i look at it and i'm like that just that book just appeared out of nowhere that's interesting like how that happened yeah we'll have to ask Zuhair or Cameron are token movie only watchers uh, what they thought if that if that was a plot hole for them or not I was also wondering if this series of Harry reenacting Lockhart's moments of heroism would be our montage that we haven't talked about in a very long time <laughs> we haven't which is really weird for us but yes I think this would be perfect for a montage a perfect chance to bring the montages back. A perfect montage. I uh, also um, the uh, sorry listeners, you can't see it right now, but the illustrated version. I love this picture oh, with the picture of him in the background, and then he has yeah. his hand on a mirror so that he can look at himself while he signs pictures of himself. That is so funny. And I then. Love that. Uh, when That's we what we need to see parts. come across in the in the show. That level of narcissism. Yes, because I think that um, it he was played well in the film. Like he fit within the film really well, and he did a good job of playing Lockhart. But um, I think they could play it up a whole lot more. A lot more, they, you know, for sure. Of course, with the show being longer, they'll give the all of the characters more room to breathe, so they'll be able to flesh out the characters more. Agreed. Most definitely. Speaking of fleshing out characters, they completely cut out Madame Pence, the librarian. So it would be really nice to see her in the show. Justice for Madame Pence. Always. We always got to do a justice for somebody that was removed. Technically, I found out she was in the movie. 
They cut her. <laughs> Not really. She's just in a different spot. And oh. she's not like pointed out or anything. She's just she's there, but she's not pointed out. So oh, oh, oh like in the, scene, they have a librarian. Further in, further in the movie, when <clears throat> Harry's being judged by Hufflepuffs and uh, across from a room in like a study room or whatever, in the back corner there's a, a librarian, um, which we don't necessarily get like any reaction from or anything like that, but. In the hmm. behind the scenes, they confirmed that that was Madame Pince being played by an actress. So technically, she is in the movie, just not in this scene. She doesn't have any lines. And doesn't have any lines or anything like that. But technically, she did make it into the movie. I still think we need justice for Madame Pince. Well, of course. I'm just saying that... She, it, she's there technically they did give her that one moment of just sitting in the dark corner of the room and watching students study so they get the book they read the instructions for the potion and figure out that it's going to be a rather long and complicated process do you guys have anything you want to say about that before we get into the quidditch game is this is this one ron's Talks about crabs' toenails. Yes. Yeah. Because I wrote that down. <laughs> but I really want that line to be in. Because that's so Ron. And it's funny, of course, which I love. And, uh, you know, it. there's just so many times where they take out the humor in the movie. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. from the books when they made the movies. And so, something like this. Like, they kept in all of the dramatic parts about making Polyjuice Potion. That it's going to be really complicated. It takes a long time. And they just kept all of that in. But there's so many, like, little moments that are really funny as the characters are talking. And mm -hmm. they do a good job of... Or she... Uh, Rowling does a good job of just when she's writing like getting the whole like the plot point across and something that is really serious she's you know getting that across in the way that the characters are talking but she's adding in all of these nuances that are characteristic for each character and uh she just has always done a really good job of that and this i think is one of those examples and so i hope that they keep the spirit of what the uh what that whole conversation is like definitely Good points. Good points. Um, we talk all the time about how the show is going to, well, solve the problem of the movie being rushed. We always talk about the films being rushed. And I think that's a really great example of how the show will fix the problem of being rushed, that these conversations can be shown and not just taking a line from like each paragraph and really delving into these conversations and showing these characteristics of the, the main trio. All right, so we go to the Critage match, and this is the main portion of the chapter and this portion of the film as well. This is where we see the rogue bludger, which is the title of the chapter. And so Harry is getting chased by this rogue bludger. People are being um, taken down, trying to help him. Um, and then he does end up catching the snitch, but he breaks his arm in the process. Any thoughts before we talk about our favorite pompous teacher trying to fix Harry? So I thought it was interesting that this match took place during a 
rainstorm and it was bright and sunny in the movie <laughs> like in the book it's clearly stating that it starts to get rainy and, and and all that stuff and i'm just like that is a completely different vibe and feeling for the quidditch match which i mean i guess from a movie standard point i kind of see where they maybe decided to make it a clear day so that you could see everything because mm-hmm. i'm sure it might have been difficult to you know do some visual effects in the rain as well on you know on top of having people flying brooms so no, that's, that that's a poor excuse if that is true because they did the they did this in the third film they kept a stormy um quidditch match for the group. i was actually going to mention that as well but we always are saying how the show is going to be better because they know the whole story and they didn't in the films but it's almost the opposite they didn't realize the like the juxtaposition of having this match, all the quidditch we've seen thus far being bright and sunny. And the reason why it's rainy, because rain in film always kind of gives that dreary, loom, um, not luminous, uh, looming, like something looming in the background feeling. Yep. And that's when the Dementors are coming. And so the whole match with the Dementors and this like shrouded in mystery, just opposed to a bright and sunny quidditch match. But I'm giving too much credit to them because they didn't know that was going to happen yet. <laughs> True. So I don't know. There, to me, I kind of see that it may have been a little bit more of one of those things where they're kind of just like, that's going to take a lot of work to do in order to make it as accurate as possible. Let's just focus on the bludger and making that a priority versus the mm-hmm. background effects of making it raining as well. Uh, so I, to me, it was to me it looks more of a like they prioritized the the story element over the the setting, and I I can kind of give them a, a a pass on that as a like okay I can kind of see where you made that justification. Yeah, it doesn't bother to me too much because the rain didn't really have anything really to do with the Quidditch match as much as. The rogue bludger. It definitely would have made it more intense, though. It would be nice to see the different weather and how it affects Quidditch in the show. But again, that's just having more time to work with Quidditch. And with the film, with that being cut or changed, it's not too dire to the story. Um, But in the show, when we have more time to explore the sport, it will be nice to see how the different elements affect the flying. True. I agree with that point. The other thing I wanted to point out was Fred and George protecting Harry and then the timeout and how that kind of plays into into effect. Like you really don't get the sense that Quidditch has timeouts. Uh, And this is the first time we've even heard it mentioned or even see it in play. Uh, And, you know, having Fred and George go in and know like that also kind of shows you, hey, somebody did see this going on. They were trying to help. Versus in the movie, you're kind of just like, what is everybody else doing or thinking about this right now? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's a bludger trying to kill Harry. Is no one like reacting to this? And obviously, there was somebody reacting to it, but they just didn't, they decided to not pursue that uh, particular thing about the scene. All right. So the bludger finally hits his mark and breaks Harry's arm. And Lockhart, the 
pompous, self-confident man himself says, I've got this, but he really doesn't, as we all know. And instead of fixing Harry's broken arm, just erases all of the bones in Harry's arm. And he is sent to the hospital wing. Dun, dun, dun. There is... um. There is, I think there is a really good scene in the sense that this played out really well. Um, you know, other than the fact that Hermione destroyed the bludger when in the book, they're kind of just wrestling it down. But like, I think the execution of Lockhart coming in and rescuing the day and everyone saying, hey, no, you got it. Like procedure is take him to Madame Pomfrey. But he's so into himself that he's just like, no, I'm going to do it because how difficult is that going to be for somebody like me uh in his insistence and nobody's willingness to like step in and take over the procedure and follow what they were supposed to be doing they kind of just let him do his thing nobody really intervened and yeah it, it, it so it kind of it does fit i think they checked all the boxes there and it kind of just made us really realize like who we're dealing with it's not we're we're not dealing with somebody who knows what they're doing we're dealing with somebody who's just who's prideful and egotistical and likes to make himself the hero of every story that's going on he just saw an opportunity and took it uh, and i think that's something that they can definitely make a real center point for the character in the show and i'm i'm really excited to see how that goes it's a really great example of how domineering his personality is that nobody did step in. And even in the film, you see Hagrid and maybe Hermione look at each other and Hagrid like raises his eyebrows like, here we go, uh, which would have been a great opportunity for him to like step in. I mean, he's giant, <laughs> but um, it just goes to show, again, like I said, how domineering Lockhart is and how persistent he is to do what he wants. He wants to be the center of attention. He wants to be the the main character. He's definitely got main character syndrome. <sighs> the other thing I wanted to point out also, before we move on, is there is a deleted scene. It's a pretty lame deleted scene, though. Um, but it's Harry flying and dodging the bludger. And it's coming after him. And then so he it, it directs him into the line of uh, into the line of uh, the stands. And so he's flying through students, uh, which so happens to be all the Slytherin students. Oh, yeah. And all the Slytherin <laughs> students are like, ah, and they're all dodging Harry and this bludger like coming right behind him. And it's, it's kind of funny. But that <laughs> technically is a deleted scene and um, obviously doesn't add anything to anything. But because I have made it a point to show all the deleted all scenes the deleted. <laughs> that technically has to be addressed it technically has to <laughs> it reminds me of the scene of colin like taking the picture and then the <gasps> and ducking <laughs> like i didn't write that as my peeve but thinking about it i'm like it just seems so out of place like a delayed reaction almost uh, that face always gets me <laughs> he's like oh my gosh what did i get myself into it's just hilarious I think um, 
I mean, I feel like the Quidditch scenes are always more dramatic um, in the films, but overall, I think that it, it was fine. And um, Lockhart's portion of it was good. Like, I, I think that most of Lockhart's scenes um, in the films are pretty good compared to the compared to the books. And, you know, I'm usually pretty pleased with them. So I did think that yeah. that was a that that was a good one. Totally. In you know, I want to see, I, I want to be able to see the show kind of capitalize on those moments. Cause I really think that that's a key moment to show Lockhart's personality. And yet uh, it, in the movie, it doesn't necessarily shine as much as it should because it doesn't have the background we've been building up in the book where the book has been building up Lockhart's character as this guy who likes to take those moments and go, Oh, I'm good at this. I I can do it. Let me do it. Let me let me show you how good I am. Um to the point that this I think this may be the first time he actually acts upon something he says he can do and he does it. Uh I think the other times it's like the teachers kind of say, "No, no, thank you." Or like uh, the people the people around him are like normally level-headed enough to know not to let him do what he says he can do. Uh, but this is the first time he's not surrounded by somebody who's going to be able to step in and kind of say, no, we got this under control or there's a procedure for that lock art. Uh, he kind of just has the ability to go, oh, I can do this. And so he does it. So I think that kind of shows the, uh, I think it's a centerfold moment of him being like, for the audience to kind of go, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's actually full of, some, full of himself and kind of realize that we're dealing, who we're dealing with kind of scenario yeah that's a good point and i'm almost kind of backtracking what i said earlier but i'm wondering also if this is just such a simple spell that nobody really like is really questioning if he can do it or not and like yes you should always go to madame pomfrey um but i'm wondering if also like it's part him being domineering and not letting anybody step in but also being like, well, it's just a broken arm. Like it is an easy fix. Like Hermione's broken or fixed um, his glasses plenty of times. And then Tonks in the book fixes Harry's broken nose later. Um, so it's probably a simple spell to fix broken bones, but then he still just butchers it. Right. What was the spell I do also want to share... how cute i don't know how well you can see oh yeah cool oh, wow that's so cool little 12 so year old hair that's a really great illustration my goodness seriously there's one more really pretty one that i'll get to when we get to that point the mina lima one i need to start showing you guys the mina lima stuff <laughs> mm-hmm by the way we had um our christmas with my parents over the weekend and Matt got me the Prisoner of Azkaban, Mina Lima. So now I've got three Mina Limas. <laughs> me too. They have them at oh, Costco yeah. right now. Yeah. And so I have the they have the set of the first two and then they have the third by itself. So we got them. I got them all for my birthday. Woohoo. Woo. But they're so cool. The book does not state that he used the spell. He just twirled his wand and then pointed it at Harry's um, arm. 
So we don't know if he used the actual spell, which right. I believe the the spell Tonks uses is um, called a pixie. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the that's the spell normally associated with healing broken bones of any kind, uh, which makes sense because Madame Pomfrey later in this chapter says, "Oh, that's cute." Oh, I love Sorry. the cape. Sorry, mm-hmm. listeners, I was getting Please distracted. Just a picture. <laughs> I'm distracting them. Uh, but Madame Pumphrey says later, like it's like as easy as a wave as a wand. So I believe to I believe it to be that spell. Um, but because we obviously it doesn't get said in the book, we don't necessarily know if he used that spell if he used a different one. Well, and um, he might even be meaning to use that spell, but he's such a dummy that he like doesn't <laughs> say the right spell. You know what I mean? Right. Yes. Which is funny because he's a Ravenclaw, so you would think he isn't right um i don't know if you could see this one it's all of the students in the stands watching them play quidditch Ooh. and then up at the top you can see the players oh that's so cool yeah. it's cute yeah i'd have to I, ha- I hate to admit that we have a ravenclaw that's so shameful we shouldn't be talking about him but anyways <laughs> well, you know there's always bad eggs <laughs> not in the Hufflepuff house no way oh don't challenge me on that I can find somebody <laughs> and then here's the, the library when they're going to get the restricted book now see that's mm. a cool library mm-hmm. yeah oh my god I know I really yeah, want I can't this wait to see how show. yeah yeah I can't wait to see how the show does the set design oh okay I don't know if you can tell right here oh no hold it closer that's the a little staircase to the restricted section. Ooh. Oh, fun! Mm-hmm. That's really cute. It like goes up into. It looks like it's going like up into a little mezzanine area, which would be cute to see. It's so. What I love about these is, you have the the movies which show the set designs, of course, and then um and then you have Mary Grand Prix artwork just for the chapters and then like occasional other pictures and then some of jk rowling's illustrations and then we have jim k's illustrations which i feel like were pretty popular and then mina lima is now the popular one with the with the illustrations and they're all so different but they like they all still kind of capture the same sort of magic like you can see exactly why they would illustrate it the way that they did even though it might be completely different than what somebody else did. I I just love being able to see all of that, the different interpretations of the same world. Yeah. Speaking of set designs, we, our next set is the hospital wing and uh, Madame Pomfrey says it's going to take longer to regrow the bones rather than fix the bones. Everybody leaves and Harry is visited by a familiar face and realizes Dobby is the one behind everything. That's a pretty big reveal. (laughs) Well, I mean, from like somebody from a standpoint of a person who hasn't been reading the story, like this is their first time going in. Right. Having those things be explained as Dobby trying to prevent Harry from continuing on at school. That's kind of like, whoa, I didn't realize that this little elf could do that kind of stuff. And um, 
Which I mean, it makes sense. This chapter is technically the middle point of the book. We're we're about halfway through the book now, mm-hmm. uh, and according to the ring theory, this is where everything starts reflecting in on itself. Um, so the this this chapter has parallels with the first chapter and the last chapter, essentially, uh, which uh, I found very interesting. There's a little page on page eighty two of the companion guide. Um, that kind of identifies some similarities and stuff. But overall, like this is the point where things start turning in on itself and we get to begin to see mm, us diving into the chamber of secrets more and Harry trying to do more detective work and things getting a little bit more serious. And like this, the progression of the stories hit its mark where it's beginning to reach to the end. And, and that's kind of an, interesting little fact because that gets highlighted by the end of the chapter um with colin being petrified essentially and so it's kind of just like that kind of changes the tone of everything up to this point because this is the first this isn't the first attack this is the first kid to get petrified and now the teachers are like seriously contemplating oh this the chamber is open what are we going to do kind of scenario and so it's um it's very interesting how how that was all written and how that was all put together. Yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I did write a lot of notes for this chapter, so I'm ready to go into the PZ pleasure, peeve, and salute. But if you guys have any other things to say, or if Meeks, you have a lightning round? I do. Why do you sound sad about that? It's like an official segment. No, I... I... <laughs> Oh, I was trying to be, I don't know, I wasn't trying to be sad. I don't really know what I was going for there. Um, (laughs) I really, really want to see the pep talk for Quidditch and Wood's passion and like getting so into it every time he talks about Quidditch and um, Fred and George's little quips back at him whenever he's Mm -hmm. trying to give them the pep talks at the beginning and stuff, because we get that in... I think we get at least one of those right in every book that Wood is still at Hogwarts, or I guess that and that Quidditch is happening when he's. Yeah, at I would Hogwarts. say so. And um, they take all of them out, and they we've said this before because it was a lot more obvious in the first movie. But he's such a flat character, right? Like, like barely even shows up in the other film. I don't even really remember him in the other films. I don't think he's in the third one at all. Ugh. Is he? so stupid if he's not no yeah and i i mean we've said it a lot that we just want more and that technically in that i think that's his last year of quidditch because in right. goblet of fire we don't have quidditch right and he's he, i think gra- he graduates in in harry's third year so um because he would have been devastated if there was no quidditch in harry's fourth year um right. but yeah we don't get that actor at all in the third film i don't think um, but yeah, I mean, we've said it before that we just want more Quidditch in general and just Quidditch in the background and just Quidditch matches. And maybe even some of these conversations can happen at, you know, a Ravenclaw versus Hufflepuff game. Um, and yes, definitely that includes the motivational speeches by Wood and Fred and George making fun of him. I mean, please keep that in. It's so funny. It's so good. It's like so characteristic for all of them. Um, 
anytime those scenes are written. And uh, so please, please, for the love of character development, keep those in. <laughs> but also the Quidditch players eating breakfast solo at the table in the Great Hall the morning of um, Quidditch practice. I think that even scenes like that, which just seem kind of pointless or like they wouldn't need to take the time to shoot something like that. I think it's still it's important. Like it shows. I don't know. Quidditch is just such a even though it's such a huge part of Harry's life and a huge part of the whole Harry Potter storyline and the movie like pretends like it's a big deal. They take out so many little details that have to do with Quidditch to make it feel like a side piece. And so I think that even the details like the Quidditch players, when they're just like eating at the breakfast table, I think they you know keeping that same like the feelings that they have where they're like they're nervous they don't even show when they show one time right before harry's first quidditch game in the first film i think that's the only time where they show like that he's nervous to play or any of the quidditch players are nervous some you know and they're they get nervous a lot more often and so i just think even even all of those details are really important to keep in a hundred percent um, my, my last little piece of my lighting round was how did Madam Hooch not see what was going on with the bludger? How does Madam Hooch not see a lot of things that are happening in Quidditch? So bad. Her one job <laughs> is to teach people to ride on broomsticks. Okay. She has two jobs. Teach people how to ride on broomsticks, which she failed at really really bad in the first film and then her second job is to referee quidditch games which every year harry almost dies on her watch and i just how like i mean obviously it's so that they had this for the plot i mean it was all for the plot but i mean if we're being practical like somebody should have put a spell or a curse or something on Hooch so that Hooch wasn't able to step in. You know what I mean? I feel like that would be more believable than her being so bad at her job. <laughs> that there's just a blood. I guess to play to devil's advocate here. There, <laughs> well, no, because there's only okay. There's 14 players on a field, and okay, there's a snitch, two bludgers, and the quaffle. That's it, right? Yeah. Mm, okay, and so she's watching the quaffle and keeping score, and then the bludgers are like going around trying to knock people off. So there is a lot of going on on the Quidditch field, and well, they're all in the air. More than one. There definitely there should be more than one referee. <laughs> and well, I mean, you think about it. You think about other sports and how there's more than one referee, and yet here in Quidditch, there's only one referee. And so you're kind of just like, that's kind of a lot for Madame Hooch to do all by herself with how how much chaos is going around. Because you got 14 players like literally riding everywhere doing whatever they need to. <laughs> but you also have to realize that the only people who noticed were Fred and George. And they had to explain to... They had to explain to Oliver Wood what was going on because Oliver Wood didn't know what was going on. So it doesn't seem like it was that obvious up front. Okay, fine. Because it, Oliver was like, "Hey, why aren't like why aren't you guys doing your job?" Like Angelina totally missed a shot because she got hit by a bludger. 
Yeah. So okay. Wood Again, didn't even know what was going coming on. Coming into Meeks' defense on this one, he might be on the other side of the field because he's a, a goalkeeper. So he might not even see what's happening, even though like George and Fred and George are probably closer to Harry and they're like, what is going on? And their job is to know what the bludgers are doing. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it all boils down to capitalism ruins everything because they don't have enough money at the school to have more than one referee going on and teachers are so overburdened everywhere well jkr really also hated writing about quidditch like she's not into sports so she probably didn't even think about how there should be more than one referee yeah that's why there's no quidditch in the fourth book and then there's no quidditch here he gets suspended in the fifth book because she was tired of writing quidditch matches she didn't want to write about so many she's like (laughs) let's have this giant tournament that takes up the entire book and let's have like a beloved character die and let's do all of this really dramatic stuff so that i don't have to write about quidditch i should have just gotten a ghostwriter to write about quidditch for her right yeah. Oh my goodness. That was I don't even know how we turned into capitalism destroys. It's <laughs> like, where did that come from? Yeah, no, I totally that was in my brain. That's what's always <laughs> been on my brain. I'm always ready to to bring it back to uh to capitalism. So let's let's blame capitalism for it. That's hilarious. I love it. Any more Meeks' lightning round? No. James, do you have a mini lightning round? I do not. Most of the things that right, well, needed to be said was James's said. James' lightning round? No. Oh, wait. I have this. No, I have. I wrote it down. It was funny. James's tidbit. Oh. No, if I have a funny little tidbit, I'll, I'll, I'll say my funny tidbits. Okay. Well, then Although let's dive I'll in. I'll start. I'll start announcing my tidbits if I if that's the case because I've already said some of my tidbits. But I do want to maybe take like two or three minutes and kind of maybe make a make a like clarification for the readers on something. Um, so we go on here and we talk about something called the ring theory, and I'm not sure how many people actually know what that is. Um, but I kind of maybe want to just explain it a little bit because I think it's going to be a big part of my analysis going forward of these stories. Um, so you kind of want to know, maybe know a little bit about it. Um, but this ring theory that we keep bringing up and that maybe if you listen to other content creators who do Harry Potter stuff, they may bring it up as well. Um, it's, uh, it's called the ring theory. Essentially it's, um, it's a way of writing a story where you have a start, a beginning, and then it goes around technically in a circle. And then when you get to the turning point, it will start being a parallel of the first half of the story, essentially. Um, So a lot of people from the Harry Potter fandom believe that J.K. Rowling wrote her books this way. And there's a lot of evidence to support that that's the case. Uh, Though I'm not too sure whether or not she's confirmed that that's true uh the evidence essentially shows it's in her writing everywhere um so for example uh chapter 10 here is the turning point of the of the book um so essentially 
we begin with chapter one where he was with the Dursleys and then we're going to end with the chapter where he's facing off against the Basilisk and Tom Riddle and stuff. Um, so what it essentially means is that it's a parallel for anything. It's a parallel for symbolism. It's a parallel for characterization, character plots. It, it's a parallel for the story elements, uh, how to resolve problems, et cetera, et cetera. So this ring theory essentially is just a tool that users will use to kind of clarify some things about maybe story intentions and maybe like points that the writer wanted to emphasize with the, with this kind of writing tool essentially. So when we talk about, and I'll give an example, the book gives that's easier than just be guessing here. So, So, for example, uh, they say a really good ring theory here is that at the beginning, Harry faces his muggle adversaries, the Dursleys, especially Dudley in Chapter 1. In the turning point, Harry's facing Draco in the Quidditch match, and in the end, Harry faces against Tom Riddle in the chamber. So essentially, that's a ring, it's a ring theory of Harry facing his enemies in these crucial points of the story. In the beginning, he was dealing with the enemies of of his life, the Dursleys. In the middle, he's dealing with his school rival, which is basically his enemy. And then in the end, it's all reflecting to the point that he's supposed to be facing off against Tom Riddle in the chamber. Um, <clears throat> another good example is Ron, Fred, and George arrive to help Harry escape Privet Drive. In the turning point, chapter 10, Harry is a, in... Uh, Harry is assisted by Fred and George um, by keeping the bludger from hitting him. And then Ron helps Harry descend into the chamber and, and then escape, essentially. So there's always a Weasley coming in and saving the day. Uh, so essentially, we, we can use these kind of clues to kind of look deeper into what the intentions of the storybook is. And if you want to learn more about it, just... There's plenty of articles out there. There's plenty of mm -hmm. things that kind of go into it a little bit more. Uh, and it's very interesting, but it uh, it kind of delves you deeper into the story in a way that you may not have thought about. And it's definitely opened my eyes to some things on how, um, how she may have written these characters uh, in, and how they they've kind of evolved over, uh, over the years, because it's very interesting. And, and, and what's even more interesting is if you expand the theory, it technically goes from the entire for the entire series. Mm -hmm. The whole series is one big ring theory. Essentially, we start with book one, the turning book, uh, the turning point, I believe, is book four. four. And then book seven is like the the ending point. And so book seven and book one are very similar to each other. Book four is the, also very similar because it's the turning point, essentially. And right. so. It's just very interesting to have all that put together. And so that's just something I wanted the listeners to kind of maybe look into because we're going to, yeah. at least I'm going to talk about it a lot more. <laughs> for I did a rabbit hole dive into the ring theory one time and it is really interesting. So if you do have time um, in your lives and you're bored, definitely research Harry Potter ring theory. It's really fascinating, especially um from the whole series and how it flips on itself. So one mirrors seven, two mirrors six, 
three mirrors five and then four of course is the turning point not only in tone one two and three are pretty lighthearted books and then five six and seven get darker and darker and darker and of course book four ends with a death and the first real death of the whole series so and of course Voldemort comes back and it just goes down here right so um, it's really fascinating to see what all those similarities are. And then again, for each book, what the ring theory is for each book. Definitely. Anyways, that's what I wanted to point out. So, Thanks for the all right, good tip, James. <laughs> um, all right, James, what was your peeves peeve? No, no, no. Peeves pleasure. I was about to say, I was like, oh, that's different. Okay, let's go with that. <laughs> um, peeves pleasure. What I liked about this adaptation was the Quidditch match. I, yeah, I can't lie. That's my favorite part. I just liked watching it. And even though we had, I don't get to see as much action as I saw in the first movie uh, with just the focus on the game and it was more focused on Harry dodging the bludger, I really thoroughly enjoyed Draco trying to like mess with him. I really enjoyed Harry trying to still catch the snitch even though he's being attacked by the bludger. Uh, the the snide remarks of Lucius Malfoy and the embarrassment he sees when Draco totally like crashes into the field. And he's kind of just like, that's not my son. Like uh, all that kind of stuff (laughs) is just fun for me to see. And it's not necessarily because it wasn't in the book or anything. It was like, it's just a depiction of how that story was interpreted and, and that's how they interpreted going. And it worked really well for the film. Uh, and so I really enjoy those kind of things where they take some liberties. Uh, they may have taken, sometimes they may take a little bit too much liberty, but overall, like when it works, it works. And I really like it uh, when that kind of stuff happens. So it has to be that. I did, you know, I have my qualms with it, but overall, I think that it was um, that added in lots of good little details. Um, my pleasure was the hospital wing scene, which we didn't really talk that much about because I don't really have a lot of notes, I guess, which is funny because it's my peeps pleasure. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought that it was good how they, um, you know, it was, um, spooky and dramatic, rightfully so. I, I don't think that they made it overly dramatic. Um, I think that. I think they did a good job balancing the emotions that we were supposed to feel. And I don't know. I just think overall that it was good. And the, this, and I forgot to share these, even though that the, the listeners don't care because they can't see it, but look at this Skelligro. Whoa. <laughs> I love it. That's oh, awesome. Sorry. The lights, my lamp is shining. Yeah, no, that looks really cool. cool. So cool. And then this one has it too. <laughs> This is just a little one, little orange on the side, just like a tall little bottle, which again, like totally different interpretations of what, what the Skelligro bottle would look like or what that, the, yeah, like the vibe that it's giving off, I guess. Uh, But they both look really cool and they both fit, you know, the world. Mm -hmm. That whole process of regrowing bones is just, gives me shivers. I would not want to do that. Speaking of Skelligro, my Peeves' pleasure is, what did you expect? Pumpkin juice? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I love that. 
that's a great line. All right, James, what's your peeves peeve? My peeves peeve uh, will have to be the the whole book thing. Like, where did the book come from? Because as soon as I <laughs> thought about that, I was like, they don't tell us in the movie. And I watched it again, and I was like, it just appears. And so it's kind of just like, where did they get the book? And they, they say it came from the restricted section, and we already know how restricted that section is. Uh, so like, did Harry have to get in, like in his invisibility cloak and grab it again? Did like, there was, there's nothing saying how they got the book. Uh, and I feel like it was just a missed opportunity to kind of have them ask for Lockhart, like Lockhart's signature to get the book. And like, there's not even a deleted scene of that. And so it's like very disappointing that overall, like this, it's just a, for me, it's a plot hole, and I'm just like, wow, like that's kind of major to miss. But anyways, it's not too terrible of a peeve, but it also just makes me upset. I'm like, come on, you could have done better. At least a line, like something. Just, like, <laughs> throw me throw me a crumb. I don't know. <laughs> not even a deleted scene. Nope. So throw terrible. me a picture crumb, am I right, ladies? <sighs> I got it. I got it. I got it. Hopefully <laughs> in my head. Okay. All right, Biggs, what's your peeve? My peeve was that joke not landing. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, removing wood from yeah. You know that whole his whole Quidditch. I'm surprised I didn't add him to my list because my peeve is cutting Lockhart and Pence. So I, I should have also added yeah. Wood. Just cutting all these characters all out. <laughs> and when I say cutting Lockhart, I mean the scene of getting the signed note from him. That whole thing. Yep. Good clarification. Thank you. What is your salute, James? My Weasley salute this time around uh, is going to have to be Dumbledore's line. Um, ah, I need. I, I want. I want to say it correctly. I have to pull it out. I don't want to just fudge it. I want the exact line. Let's see here. Okay. So McGonagall basically says, but Albus, surely who? And Dumbledore says, the question is not who, his eyes on Colin. The question is how. Um, I want to salute that line because it kind of just, I think that is, that that's the beginning of Dumbledore going. He knows it's Voldemort. He knows somehow yeah. Tom Riddle came back and opened the Chamber of Secrets. He just doesn't understand how it happened. Uh, and that goes to show you that Dumbledore knows exactly where Tom Riddle is and he's been keeping an eye on him for sure. And he, he, he knows what he's doing, which means he know he understands his enemy really well. And yet he, he also knows that his enemy is the only one who's opened the chamber secrets and he's the only one who can open the chamber secrets. So how did he do it? And, he, and that probably gets him on this journey of what eventually will be the discovery of the Horcruxes. And I think that that's going to be really cool. Um, my salute is Kenneth Branagh's acting um, for Lockhart. I think even though they take out um, 
plenty of uh, like nuance parts of the scenes and, you know, flatten his character out. I think that what the way that or what there was still there in the writing, I think he did just such a good job. And the character was so on point and um, he just did a great job. He does in every every scene that he's in, I think. Mm hmm. I'm saluting Lockhart, the character, not the actor, because even though it's just out of pure cockiness, he does give them the note, which allows them to go get this book, which allows them to brew the polyjuice potion, which allows them. It does cause some other problems, but they do kind of narrow down, not that these 12 year olds should be doing all of this stuff against the rules, but. They wouldn't, we wouldn't have a story if it wasn't for Lockhart signing the note. So good job, Lockhart. <laughs> Any final thoughts, my friends? I don't think so. Just well, thank you for causing havoc with us today. <laughs> like how I said no and then just kept talking. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, we'll be discussing Chapter 11, The Dueling Club, which is approximately an hour and three minutes to an hour and ten minutes of the film. James, where can our friends find you? They can find me on James M. Beltran at TikTok or Instagram. And, yeah. That's it. And then... <laughs> and then you can find me Meegs uh, mainly on Instagram at Megan M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I and then from there you can find all my other projects and you can find me Sarah Day on Instagram at Captain.McD that's M-C-D-E-E -E. and you can find my other projects linked on Instagram as well you can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at PiecesGabFest Ickle Firsties, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And please, please, please leave a five-star review. If you're as mischievous as we are, please consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash peevesisgabfest. If you have any feedback, please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GABFEST. Or email us at peevesisgabfest at gmail.com. Also, join the conversation in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash pieces gap fest. Until next time, Nickel Firsties. Bye.